You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hi there. Welcome back to Attaboy Clarence, all refreshed and ready for a new year. I have biscuits, I have tea, I have a very comfortable armchair. Come on in. Okay, so the reality is that I have crisps, beer, and an office chair inside a cupboard. But this show has always been about the theatre of the mind now, hasn't it? Shameless plug for a moment. First up, the new episode of The Secret History of Hollywood is up. Its name is Blood on the Water, and tells the story behind Val Luton's 1943 film The Ghost Ship. This one was a lot of fun to make, actually, because it not only features a quick dive into universal horror and a small bio of Criswell, the incredibly eccentric TV psychic who remarkably served as technical consultant on The Ghost Ship, but it also features a courtroom battle, which is a genre in itself that I've always been a fan of. Anyway, do go and check that out. I do want to say a very special thank you to Mark Gatiss for appearing. Thank you, sir. I know you're listening to this. We had a conversation at the BFI screening in November about Mark's love for old-time radio. He's especially fond of the Petri Wine ads and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, unsurprisingly. Sherlock through and through. I must say a quick hello also to the wonderful James Holmes. Such a great actor, such a lovely, lovely man, and so stylish. He certainly brought a fashionable air to our row of seats at the BFI. All power to you, sir. And a very, very special thank you to Miss Brooke Darnell. I think we'll just ramp up the theme tune for old time's sake. Brooke Darnell, she's a very clever mademoiselle. When you need some information found, she's half librarian and half bloodhound. Yes, there you go. Brooke Darnell, who has made pretty much the whole episode Blood on the Water possible with her research the Library of Congress, where she dug up Val Luton's correspondence, so thank you once again, Brooke. Now, I usually reserve the Patreon ads for the ends of these shows, but I must just quickly tell you about a new perk that's coming very soon for anyone who's signed up. For all you audiophiles, I have a nice reward coming. Anyone who's signed up as a patron, no matter what the amount, will soon have access to a new podcast feed containing super high-quality versions of the Secret History shows. As you know... The Secret Histories are very, very highly produced pieces of audio. They're an absolute labor of love. I always work on them in the highest possible quality. And they sound dizzying at times, especially things like the Cagney fight in Bullets 1 and the War of the Worlds segment in The Boy from the Black Sea. So it's such a shame when I have to then compress them into an MP3 and shove them out into the world. They lose a lot of their polish, unfortunately. But if I didn't squeeze them down, they'd never fit onto your phones. So if you would like high-quality versions, then as a patron, you will be getting them. Now, this doesn't mean that suddenly all the back episodes are going to be remastered and re-released. For now, it'll be new episodes as they come out on the podcast, starting with the next episode of Shadows, which will be coming very soon, actually. 
As I say, this may be of no interest to you at all, but for all those of you with high-end headphones or sound systems or just really, really good car stereo systems, I'll now be supplying patrons with a high-quality WAV version of each show as they're released. Personally, I've just received my pair of Neurophones after waiting a very long time for them to ship. They're not commercially available yet. If you haven't heard of Neurophones, then I'll put a link in the show notes. I bought them specifically because I wanted to produce the highest quality audio I could, and listening to the shows on them is quite something, especially the music. It's really beautiful, and so now you'll be able to hear that too. Anyway, technical mumbo-jumbo aside, I was rifling through the old hard drive the other day, and I found this from David Colenda. Merry Christmas from David Colenda in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes, poor old David Colenda, who kindly sent in his Christmas greeting, was probably sat there on Christmas Day, inconsolable, because Adam left him out of the Atterbury Clarence Christmas special. Inconsolable, I tell you. He couldn't eat turkey. The gifts beneath the tree were all left unwrapped. He wouldn't even go and play in the snow. He just spent the whole day drinking heavily and comfort eating. Which is pretty much how I spent my Christmas day, I have to be honest. I'm only kidding, of course. I have actually emailed David and apologised, and he has assured me that after many sessions of very expensive therapy, he has now begun to get over this blow to his psyche. So because I was an idiot and forgot to include him in the Christmas special, I've decided to immortalise Mr. Kalender and his greeting. And how did I do this, you may ask, or not? Here's how. David Kalenda? Yes, feast your ears upon the David Kalenderbury. David Kalenda? Now open for business and taking no prisoners, it joins the hallowed ranks of Canterbury variations, which of course include... The Allo Allo Canterbury. Now listen very carefully. I shall say Canterbury. Only way. The Bob the Builder Canterbury. The Canterbury. I could have been a Contenderbury. I could have been a Contenderbury. The Draculantabury. Listen to them. Children of the night. What? Canterbury. They make. The Excanterbury. The Robo Canterbury. The Starship Canterbury. And of course, the Candybury. Who can take a rainbow, wrap it in a sigh, soak it in the sun and make a strawberry lemon pie? The Canterbury. The Canterbury. Canterbury. And because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. There'll be no new year for you. Welcome to Immortality, David, and may I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so sorry.
you're looking for a treat to freshen taste and keep breath sweet. Because this man's breath smells just like feet. Get double smoothness, flavor too. Get the gum that's double good to chew. Oh, I like that. If only there was a song to help me remember this product. Double your pleasure, double your fun with double good, 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 double good. Hello. Double good, double good, double good, double good. Please turn that song up. I really like it. I do. Oh, hi, Siki. No, I'm trying to find a way to stop it. I would give all that I own if you would not stop it. There we go. You're a spoiled sport, you are. First you threw away all the eggs I laid for you in the garden. Then you removed my ability to have children. And now you turn off my favouritest song. I'm very cruel, aren't I? Yes, you are very cruel. I didn't want to tell you this, but you're also a very silly sausage. I don't like using that kind of language, but you made me quite angry. Well, I'm sorry. No problem. Hey, what's that behind you? Behind me? I don't know. What is Where's it? Where's the needle? Double good, double good, double good, Suki. Come on along and listen to the lullaby of Broadway. The hip hooray and ballyhoo. The lullaby of Broadway. The rumble of the subway train. The rattle of the taxis. The daffodils who entertain. And Angelo's and Maxie. When the Broadway baby says goodnight, it's early in the morning. Manhattan babies don't sleep tight Until the dawn Good night Baby Good night Milkman's on his way Sleep tight Baby Sleep tight Let's call it a day That was Lullaby of Broadway from Sophie Tucker, Eddie Cantor, and the Andrews Sisters, the Holy Trinity. Hey, guess what fantabulous happening has occurred during my absence? That's right, Harry and Meghan got engaged. But as well as that, a brand spanking new edition of The Dark Pages has come out, and what a treat, it's devoted entirely to one movie. A giant 32 pages dedicated entirely to The Postman Always Rings Twice. The classic adaptation of James M. Cain's novel starring John Garfield and Lana Turner, and in the issue you get a profile of John Garfield. A feature on Irene, the film's costume designer, Original reviews of the film from when it was released, a bio of Lana Turner's hometown, plus interestingly, it contains a contrarian view of the film from a non-fan, which is very interesting to read. All this along with lots and lots more, including TCM listings and character profiles. The Dark Pages is a wonderful publication, and I heartily recommend this edition if you're a noir fan, so to get yours, go on over to www.allthatnoir.com. 
Well, seeing as how the postman always rings twice is the focus of the new issue of The Dark Pages, I thought I'd give it a rewatch because I haven't seen it for a while and my appetite was re-wetted. My husband tells me your name is Frank. That's right. Well, Frank, around here, you'll kindly do your reading on your own time. Your husband? Nick told me I was through for the day and I thought he was boss around here. The best way to get my husband to fire you would be not doing what I tell you to do. You haven't asked me to do anything, yet. I want all these chairs painted. All right. I'll look in the paper. Maybe I can find a sale on some cheap paint. You won't find anything cheap around here. The first thing that springs out at you when you watch it is how sweaty it feels. There really is a palpable sense of growing sexuality there, obviously because Lana Turner is a very beautiful woman and plays a character who's very aware of her own sexuality and its effect upon men and who uses this as a kind of escape from her husband. This was sort of lost in the remake starring Jessica Lange and Jack Nicholson. That sweaty sexuality was replaced by sweaty sleaze. It got very explicit and it made the two main characters almost animalistic. Now, that was far truer to James M. Cain's book upon which these films were based, but whereas the remake makes you view the characters as a pair of lusty animals, the 1946 film seems to show them more as misguided drifters who fall in love. I've made a big mistake in my life, and I've got to be this way just once to fix it. But they hang you for a thing like oh, that. Oh, but not if you do it right, and you're smart, Frank. You'll think of a way. Plenty of men have. He never did anything to me. But darling, can't you see how happy you and I would be together here without him? Do you love me, Cora? That's why you've got to help me. It's because I do love you. Yes, you do. You couldn't get me to say yes to a thing like this if you didn't. What I also love about this film is that when it begins, once its central premise has been established, you have a fairly certain idea about how it's going to go. You instantly think of double indemnity in films like that, where a vampy femme fatale uses her charms to enlist a man's help in murdering her husband. But you know that she'll double-cross the guy in the end, etc, etc. But Cora, played by Lana Turner, isn't like that. As you learn more about her, you realise that she's genuinely a disillusioned young woman who made a mistake by marrying a much older man, and who now looks at her life with such regret. And Frank, played by John Garfield, seems like an escape to her. So they take their chance. Also, while the central murder plot is undoubtedly the motor that drives the film along, it's only really half the film. The real story comes after the murder. This film is all about the fallout from that crime. It's all about the trust and the mistrust between two people who share a terrible secret. So I'm very glad I got a chance to revisit this movie. James M. Cain was a gift to Fortis Noir, really. He really saw to it that Hollywood went to some very dark places. And while The Postman Always Rings Twice does shy away from some of the darkest places in Cain's book, it has its own fair share of shadows. From darkness to lightness, a trip over to What's My Line and a puzzle for you too. Make sure your blindfolds are fitted as we play along with another game of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? All right. Panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery guest, we go to a different form of questioning. You ask one question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and we'll begin it all with uh, Arlene Francis. Are you here to publicize a picture which is about to open? 
No, ma'am. One down, nine to go, Mr. Sir. <laughs> uh, have you anything to do with the legitimate stage? No, sir. Two down and eight to go, Miss Gilgallan. Have you anything to do with the picture which has already opened? Yes, ma'am. Dirk Bogart. Have you been in the uh, movie industry for longer than uh, 12 years? <laughs> yeah, yes. Miss Francis? Well, that's still a baby in my estimation. <laughs> uh, are you a leading woman? Yeah, yes. Mr. Sir? Would the picture that you are, have been in be either portrait in black or from the terrace? Yeah. Miss Kilgallen? Uh, were you ever rather prominently associated with a sweater? Prominently associated with a sweater? No, ma'am. Three down and seven to go. Mr. Bogart? Were you associated at one time mostly with a high form of sophisticated comedy? Yes, sir. Miss Francis? Well, I have to go back to the pictures. Uh, was it on the terrace or from the terrace, the picture? Yes. Mr. Sir? Well, you're not Lana Turner, that's right. Oh, oh that's it was from the, terrace, uh, from the terrace. From the terrace. Okay, break it off there. Do you have a clue? Hopefully you do. Well, hold on to it for now, and we'll see if you're correct later in the show. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Yes, thank you. Another edition of the Question Pot. You guys have been flinging in the questions with wild abandon. The first of which I pluck from the pot is from Gabriella, who writes, Dear Adam, I am an avid listener of both of your podcasts. Thank you. Shadows is exceptional, and may I add that one of your episodes, which featured the story of the robber bridegroom, actually partially inspired me for my master's thesis next year. Congratulations. And thank you. Anyway, on to my question. Years upon years ago, I watched a film about an escaped mental patient who suffers from schizophrenia and comes across a young woman who happens to be on a staycation after both of her roommates have gone on holiday. The film basically revolves around her trying to get away from him and is jam-packed with suspense. At the end of the film, she manages to run away from him towards the train tracks and he's hit by a train whilst in pursuit. Sadly, I cannot remember the name of the film and I wondered if you perhaps did. I believe it was made in the late 40s or early 50s, but I could be entirely mistaken. I remember enjoying it immensely, waiting with bated breath, Gabriella. Well, firstly, thank you, Gabriella. I'm so glad you're enjoying Shadows. On to your question, though. I have spent a serious amount of time trying to find a film that fits this description. The thing is, it sounds very familiar to me. I feel like I've seen it too, but the old roach memory seems to be failing me miserably. I mean, the end of it sounds like Shadow of a Doubt but the rest of it doesn't. So the closest I got to identifying it was 1954's Suddenly, starring Frank Sinatra, which is too different again, I think. Although it does have a climax involving a train again. Also, 1958's Cry Terror, starring James Mason, which is again kind of similar, but not really. So I think the best thing to do is throw it out to the Attaboy Clarence listeners. Do any of you recognize the plot that Gabriella is talking about? And if so, can you name that film? 
And if you can, let me know, and together we will reunite Gabriella with her psychopath. How about this query next from Nathaniel DeBell, who writes, Dear Adam, I am just writing to let you know how much I am enjoying listening to both of your podcasts. Thank you. I discovered your podcasts only a few months ago, and I have only reached episode number 51 of your main podcast. You should be proud to know that. As I am lying in the hospital ward, I am listening to your podcast, as was I when I fell from the ladder that smashed my ankle four hours ago. As much as I have loved your podcasts, I can't help but notice that you've not mentioned many non-English language motion pictures. The only one I can recall is Fritz Lang's M, which featured quite early in your podcast run. As someone who loves world cinema, I would love for you to recommend the non-English language films which you enjoy the most. Regards, Nathaniel DeBell. It's a fair question, Nathaniel DeBell. I do love the old world cinema, after all. Well, the first I would recommend is La Belle et les Bêtes from 1946, directed by Jean Cocteau. An ultra-lavish retelling of Beauty and the Beast, and for my money, the best cinematic adaptation so far. I will never forget the first time I saw Antonioni's L'Aventura from 1960, which tells the story of a young girl who goes missing and her friends search for her. I remember quite vividly being mystified and enchanted and very disturbed by it, and some of its imagery has never left me. Quite a remarkable film and rather unforgettable. The 1936 Swedish version of Intermezzo, starring Ingrid Bergman, is a gorgeous film. Not quite as lavish as the Selznick version, but equally as heartbreaking. And finally, I would have to recommend 1953's The Wages of Fear, directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau, who, which I remember watching upon the recommendation of Empire magazine many years ago. For the first hour of it, I was struggling to see what the attraction was, but when the men start to drive the trucks, loaded with highly volatile nitroglycerin, across a very unstable landscape, it turns into one of the most nail-biting thrillers of all time. So there, four of my favourite non-English movies from that period, and thank you once again for your question, Nathaniel DeBell, and I do hope your ankle gets better very soon. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. As a result of long continuing research in the field of commercial explosives, the DuPont Company today manufactures more than 200 different formulations of dynamite as well as other explosives blasting supplies and accessories. Well, on behalf of the world, DuPont, can I just say thank you? I think that I can safely say that what the world needs now is more explosives. DuPont research has also brought to light new and more efficient ways of using explosives, including a new and better way to fire them. The DuPont blasting timer. Well, this sounds thrilling. It is now known that in some types of blasting... Hello? Better results are obtained when one big blast is divided into a number of little ones, fired with almost unbelievable accuracy, a few thousandths of a second apart. The new DuPont invention, the DuPont Blasting Timer, detonates blasts in just this way. It looks like a portable radio. Inside the box, cams so delicately machined that they operate with greater accuracy than a fine stopwatch, Close switches that fire the shots one after another. Bombs have never sounded this dull. In developing natural resources such as coal and other minerals, blasting must occasionally be carried out near residential and business districts. 
Hello? Here, the timer is of service because it reduces the vibration of the ground. The DuPont timer also makes delay shooting even safer than before, providing an accurate means of firing the charges without using electric blasting caps in the drill holes and lessening the danger that an unfired charge will remain in a hole and go off later by accident. In addition, tests indicate that the DuPont blasting timer will be of considerable aid in rock quarries from the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. So, sorry, but what are you selling here exactly? Sleep? If so, then shut up and take my money. of swells we stop at the best hotels but we prefer the country far away from the city smells we're a couple of sports the pride of the tennis courts in june july and august we look cute when we're dressed in shorts the vanderbilts have asked us up for tea we don't know how to get there, no siree, no siree. We would drive up the avenue, but we haven't got the price. We would skate up the avenue, but there isn't any ice. We would ride on a bicycle, but we haven't got a bike, so we'll walk up the avenue, yes, we'll walk up the avenue, and to walk up the avenue's what we like. Wall Street bankers are we, with plenty of currency. We'd open up the safe, but we forgot where we put the key. We're the favorite lads of girls in the picture ads. We'd like to tell you who we kissed last night, but we can't be cats. The Vanderbilts are waiting at the club. But how are we to get there? That's the rub. That's the rub. We would sail up the avenue, but we haven't got a yacht. We would drive up the avenue, but the horse we had was shot. We would ride on a trolley car, but we haven't got the fare. So we'll walk up the avenue, yes, we'll walk up the avenue, yes, we'll walk up the avenue till we're there. And that was We're a Couple of Swells by Fred Astaire and Judy Garland. Beautiful. So obviously we're in a new year now, 2018. In fact, we're well into it now. It was New Year's Eve when I happened to notice an article, though, in a British newspaper about a British film that we over in Britain know nearly nothing about. And yet over in Europe, it is something of a cultural phenomenon. I call it a film. It's actually a comedy sketch which was filmed in 1963 and which only has two stars. Freddie Frinton as the butler, James, and Mae Wharton as Miss Sophie, his well-to-do employer. Ah, good evening, Miss Sophie. Good evening. Good evening, James. 
You're looking very well this evening, Miss Sophie. Well, I'm feeling very much better. Thank you, James. Good, good, good. Well, I must say that everything looks very nice. Thank you very much, Miss Sophie. Thank you. I say cultural phenomenon because that is exactly what it is. As well as playing on German TV stations every New Year's Eve, it is also a staple of New Year's celebrations in Sweden, Norway, Latvia, Finland, Austria and Denmark. It's become a New Year's tradition in those countries because of the recurring catchphrase through the sketch. At several points, James the butler says, The same procedure as last year, Miss Sophie. <laughs> to which Miss Sophie always replies, Same procedure as every year, James. And it's this line that's become an almost greeting used by Europeans to ring in the new year. Anyway, reading about this film, I decided that I had to investigate. And the story is quite simple. Miss Sophie is celebrating her 90th birthday with a grand dinner and she's invited her closest friends. However, they're all dead. Is everybody here? Indeed they are, yes, yes. <laughs> they're all here for your anniversary, Miss Sophie, yes. All five places laid out. All laid out as usual. Uh, Sir Toby. Sir Toby, yes, he's <laughs> sitting here this year, Miss Sophie. Admiral Von Schneider. Admiral Von Schneider is sitting here, Miss Sophie. Mr. Pomeroy. Mr. Pomeroy, I've put round here for you. And my very dear friend, Mr. Winterbottom. On your right, as you requested, Miss Sophie. Thank you, James. You may now serve the soup. The soup. Thank you very much, Miss Sophie. Miss Sophie has outlived them all. So to make her birthday party a happy one, her faithful manservant, James, impersonates all of her guests in turn, taking each one's seat at the table and consuming not just their share of food, but their share of alcohol. Now, this isn't a problem during the first course, but by the time dessert is served, James has consumed 16 glasses of wine, and the simple act of moving from place to place is becoming something of problem. Sugar in the morning! <laughs> Admiral von Schneider. Skull. <laughs> so this began as a music hall sketch written by Laurie Wiley and perfected on the vaudeville circuit by Frinton himself, who was discovered performing it by Peter Frankenfeld, who insisted upon shipping Frinton off to Germany to turn it into a film for television. This is the version you see in this film, a single 18-minute take of the act that Frinton had perfected through his hundreds of performances. The comedy is very physical, from artfully choreographed trips on the rug to a drunken swagger that sees Frinton swaying violently around the room. At certain points, you are absolutely sure that he's going to fall flat on his face, but he somehow always regains his balance. He's a very, very talented performer. And what I loved about this thing is that it gets funnier and funnier as it goes on. It's not a feature-length movie. So I'm not going to spend hours talking about characters and direction. It's all very simple, and simple is all it needs to be. I will mention one thing, though. The final line in this thing is killer. It's very, very good. Anyway, it'll certainly become a firm fixture in my holiday viewing from now on. Go and search out 1963's Dinner for One, and I'm pretty sure that if you give it a chance, it'll be the same procedure every year for you, too. Well, a slice of noir for your radio entertainment, courtesy of the Screen Guild Theatre. 
This is a great version of The Postman Always Rings Twice with the original leads Lana Turner and John Garfield reprising their roles. So here we go. Twin Oaks Tavern, the place was called. You know the kind of joint I mean. You can see one on any road in America. An old wooden house that had been remodeled, a lunchroom added in on the front, and a gasoline pump out in the yard. A sign was hanging on the pump, Man Wanted. So I opened the door and walked in. She was standing there near the counter, dressed all in white, white and cool on that hot afternoon, and looking at me as if I was dirt. She didn't fool me, though. Not even that. She was dynamite and a cake of ice. I knew it. And she knew it. She knew I knew it. And when she found she couldn't stand me down... Something you want? Not a thing. I just work here. Oh, since when? Since you asked. Well, the best way not to be working here is to try and be funny. Just remember that, Mr. Smart Guy. She was the boss's wife. Her name was Cora. Cora Smith. And every chance she got, she showed me she didn't like me. A lot. I knew I had to take it slow and easy, so I just stuck to my job and tried to get in solid with the boss. That part was a cinch. The poor guy had had so much trouble with help. By the end of the week, we were just like pals. Oh, go ahead, Frank. Have some wine. We got to celebrate tonight. <laughs> you're the boss, Nick. Hey, Cora, some wine for you? No, thanks. Oh, you're the one should be celebrating. You've been wanting that neon sign for two years. Frank, you ever see a finer sign than that? I never have. Honest, the way she kept begging for that sign, you'd think it was the most... Nick. Nick, why don't you play something on the guitar? Yeah, why don't you, Nick? Well, sure. Maybe Cora will do a little dance for us. She's a wonderful dancer. Uh, no, I, I always feel silly dancing alone. Put on a record, Nick, and I'll dance with you. Oh, listen to her, Frank. I keep telling her I'm like a lot of smart men. My brains are not in my feet. <laughs> hey, come on, Cora. Uh, how about me dancing with Mrs. Smith? Well, I, I don't feel... Why not? Go ahead, Cora. I like to watch dancing. That was the first time I ever had her in my arms. Right under Nick's nose. I didn't say a thing, and neither did she. But I guess we both knew. Then all of a sudden, she pulled away. <sighs> oh, that's enough, Nick. Save your strength. Well, but Cora, you dance so nice together. Yeah, well, it's too hot to dance. I think I'll drive down to the beach for a swim. Oh, that's a good idea. You haven't been out of this place for a month. I'll go get my things. I won't be long. Say, Nick, uh, why don't we all go down for a swim? Well, I don't swim very well, and, and the undertow's pretty strong. You mind if I ride down in the car with her? Well, not if she doesn't. Thanks. Say, if that undertow's so strong, I'm going to stay close to shore. <laughs> I don't know why you had to come along. You haven't even been near the water. I know. I promised Nick. Promised him what? That I'd stay close to shore. Tell me something. How did you ever come to marry him? That's none of your business. No need to get sore. You come from this part of California? No. Where then? Don't laugh. Iowa. Why the don't laugh? Oh, that tired old joke everybody in Southern California is supposed to come from Iowa. Did you uh, come here with Nick? No, I, I only met Nick four years ago. And the next question you asked before. Maybe I knew the answer when I asked. Oh, sure. You've got it all figured out. A smart little Jenny marries herself into a nice, steady business. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Smarty Pants. 
When I married Nick, he only had a couple of hundred dollars. Starting the Twin Oaks was my idea. And if it's making nice money by now, it's as much me as Nick. That wasn't what I meant. Well, the rest is still none of your business. Okay. Your life sounds a little dull to me. <laughs> to you, it would. From what Nick tells me about your idea. What's wrong with my idea? To have my fun now, not when I'm old and rich and retired? Oh, rich and retired. I think you'll end up a first-rate tramp. I don't think you'd think that at all. Come on. Let's go back. I wouldn't want Nick getting any ideas. Listen, Nick hasn't any reason to get ideas. I know he hasn't. Yet. Well, I... I think we'd better be getting on home. Wait a minute. All right. I kissed you. Nick's got his reason. Now what? Just what I told you. We're going home. All the way home, all the next morning, she wouldn't even talk to me. But I had a feeling it wasn't just because she was mad. So I waited till Nick had started for town, and then I walked into the kitchen. Cora. Get out of here. Are you crazy? Where's Nick? He just had a brainstorm and drove into L.A. He thinks the laundry service is cheating him. Cora, honey. No, no. No, wait, Frank. Please. I want to tell you something. What? Frank, about that question. What question? Why I married Nick. My answer is that Nick came along at the right time with a wedding ring. Yeah. A wedding ring was the first thing he mentioned. And, of course, you liked that. You'd always had to fight off a lot of guys. A lot of guys. (laughs) All the guys. I don't especially like the way I look sometimes, but, but I never met a man since I was 14 who didn't want to give me an argument about it. So by the time Nick came along, you were ready to marry anybody who owned a gold watch. Well, I I told him I didn't love him. I told him... And he said that would come in time, but it didn't. Oh, Honest, I meant to stick by him. And, and, and so, so you married him and retired the undefeated champ. Not 100% undefeated. Not now. Cora. What's that? Sounds like somebody trying to get in. Was the lunchroom door locked? Yeah. I must have locked it. going on like this, are we? No. I've been thinking about us going away. Well, that's what I've been thinking, too, almost ever since I saw you. Frank, I, I'll leave a note for Nick. But where will we go? How do I know? Depends on which way we can thumb a ride. Mm, there goes another one whizzing by. Don't worry, Cora. We'll get a lift. But when? Oh, I don't know which is more tired, my thumb or my arches. Wait a minute. Let's take time out. Here, sit on the bag. Now, let's have it. What's on your mind? Frank, if I divorce Nick, he'll never give me a nickel. He'll keep the Twin Oaks and everything. What do we care? Well, maybe it doesn't mean anything to you, but I want to be somebody. And the Twin Oaks is mine. If I walk out like this, I'll lose all I put in it. And I'll never be anybody. Oh, I love you, Frank. And I want you. But not this way. Not starting off like a couple of tramps. I'm going back. Okay. You're the boss. Please understand it. It's only because I love you and... Frank! What's the matter now? The note I left for Nick. 
Oh, if he gets home before we do. Well, where'd you leave it? In the cash register. The first place you look. Come on. Let's get back there. coming off the road? Oh, then I'd better put that bag away. Oh, wait a minute. Why is he driving like that from side to side? We must have been celebrating again. He's drunk. He's either drunk or he's crazy. Hey, look out. Look, look out, that truck. <laughs> Boy, that was close. I wish he'd get into that car someday and get plastered and drive off a cliff. Frank, you don't mean that. You were joking. Sure. Sure, I was joking. Of course you were joking. I couldn't get to sleep that night. Maybe I was afraid to sleep. Maybe I was afraid I'd dream. And so I, I went outside and I lit a cigarette and I walked around. I, I noticed the light was on in Nick and Cora's room. Then almost without knowing it, I was standing near their window. That's how I happened to hear what I did. Oh, but Cora, there's something to celebrate, isn't it? If I sell the Twin Oaks at a big profit. But that's what I don't understand. We're making good money. Why sell out now? Oh, for one thing, so you can take it easy. We're going back to Michigan to live with my sister. Your sister? You never even told me you had a sister. Well, I didn't want to worry you. You see, she hasn't been well for the last few years. Sort of paralyzed. She needs us to take care of her. Oh, you mean she needs me. She needs a free nurse. Well, now, Cora, please. I won't do it, Nick. And I won't let you sell. Half of this place ought to be mine. More than half of it. All of it. And I'll stop you somehow. I don't think so, Cora. Remember when we got married, that little paper you signed? Well, that just gave you the right to rent this place for us. That's what I let you think. That paper was what they call a marriage settlement. Nick. Nick, you didn't do that to me. Why, you thief. You cheat, you liar. Well, after all, I'd only known you a couple of weeks. I had to protect that house back in Michigan. But since you don't care about my sister, that paper can cover the Twin Oaks, too. sleep. I was walking around. Cora, I was outside your window a little while ago. I, uh, I heard what Nick said. Well, I won't let him do it. I uh, won't let him do it. I don't know how you can stop him, Cora. Frank, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me so much that nothing else matters? Yes. Then there's, there's one thing we could do that would fix up everything. What? Pray for something to happen to Nick? Something like that. Cora. Well, you suggested it yourself this afternoon. I I was only joking. Mm, were you? Yeah, yeah, I was. Or had you started to think about it a little? Now, wait a minute, Cora. I... Frank, listen to me. I'm not what you think I am. I just want to keep this place and work hard and be something, that's all. You see, I, I've made a big mistake in my life. And I've got to be this way just once to fix it. They hang you for that. Oh, but not if you do it right. And you're smart, Frank. You'll think of a way. He never did anything to me. Sure he did. Maybe he didn't know it, but he did it to you and me, to both of us. But don't you see, Frank, us, that's all that matters. You, you really love me that much? That much? Oh, I'm no good, Frank. I, I'm no good, but I love you. It's in the cards. Yeah. I guess it's in the cards.
That second act of the Lady Esther Screen Guild play will follow in a moment. Now, a word from Lady Esther. Tonight I have some really exciting news for you about a brand new shade of face powder created especially for summer. A new summer tan shade called Malibu Tan. I designed this smart new Malibu Tan to make you look like a divine sun goddess. And I named it after Malibu Beach in California. It's spelled M-A-L-I-B-U. Malibu Tan is a simply heavenly shade. Soft, subtle, and so flattering. It gives your skin a glorified, healthy suntan look. The moment you try my new Lady Esther Malibu Tan, you'll say it's the most flattering summer tan powder you've ever seen. And the longer you wear it, the better you'll like it. Because Malibu Tan will not change its color after it's on your skin. It never turns reddish, never gets that ugly orange tinge. Here at last is a summer tan shade of face powder which holds its true color on your skin. Smart women everywhere will wear my new Malibu tan this summer. It's the last word in fashion. All your summer clothes will look so much smarter if your skin has Malibu tan's flattering suntan look. Be sure to wear it for evening wear, too. See how Malibu tan flatters your skin at night. And when you wear a low-necked, short-sleeved dress, use Malibu tan on your arms and neck as well as on your face. See what admiring glances you get. And see if your favorite man doesn't say, you look simply gorgeous tonight. And now, Lady Esther presents the second act of The Postman Always Rings Twice, starring John Garfield and Lana Turner. bubbling over with ideas. Uh, this fellow who's buying the place, he wants me to meet him tomorrow morning in Santa Barbara. We can all drive up tonight and have a little celebration. What do you mean, we can all drive up? Where do I come in? Oh, well, I want you to meet him, Frank. I, I told him you'd manage the Twin Oaks for him. I gave you a pretty good recommendation. Oh, thanks. Well, he doesn't get the place until tomorrow. Nathan, we take him today is still ours. Come on, let's get out there and get to work. That's how she was all afternoon. Quiet, cold, deliberate. Until we had the plan all set and got ready to leave. Part of my job was to get Nick drunk, but I didn't have to try very hard. We started celebrating around 4 o'clock. By 7.30, it was getting dark, so we locked up the place and started out. Cora at the wheel, Nick and me and a bottle of wine in the back seat. <laughs> Come on, Frank, let's have a little harmony, huh? All right. There's a long, long trail of winding into the land of my... Hey, Cora. Oh, you're making the wrong turn. No, I'm not. This takes us right by Lake Sherwood. I've always wanted to see it, Nick. Oh, well, sure. Why not? There's a long, long dream. And that's how we were when we reached the top of the pass, where the road is cut right from the side of the mountain. Nick was just having another drink when Cora stopped the car at the edge of the cliff. Hey, hey what's you stopping for, Cora? We got a long way to go. Well, the engine's overheated. I, I better let it cool off. Hey, that's right. Gotta save this little bus to take the Michigan. Hey, right? Nick, how about another song? We we're going pretty good before. Come oh, on. sure, sure. Just hold this bottle, Frank. I'll start us off. Oh, pack, pack up, up your troubles in your old kid bag and smile, smile, smile. Oh. Frank, get out of the car. Quick. Stand by. I'll 
Got the jump. Yeah, I left it in high. Good. We can hold it right off. Sure you can go through it. Oh, after seeing that, I can go through with anything. You'll have to muss up your dress. Rip it up. I'll get down there and climb in the car, rough myself up. Yeah. And when you're sure I'm inside, you can head down the road and start yelling for help. Are you positive you can take it, Cora? Oh, yes. There's just one thing now. Us. Nothing else matters. The car stopped halfway down the cliff. Hung up on a little ledge. I scrambled down to it. Climbed in the back and pulled the door open. Cora started yelling up on the road. And then, all of a sudden, the car slid forward. It began to gain speed, turned over twice, and then something hit me and everything went black. When I woke up, I, I was in the hospital. First, the doctor was there, and then the district attorney fellow named Sackett. He asked a lot of questions and wrote down everything I said, and then he opened the door and called to Cora. All right, Mrs. Smith, you can see him now. Thank you. Hello, Frank. How are you? Uh, shaken up a little, Mrs. Smith. Oh, your arm? Oh, the doctor says it isn't broken. Uh, how are you? Mm. I'm just getting hurt by a miracle. That was a crazy stunt your husband pulled, Mrs. Smith. Reaching from the back, trying to grab the wheel. Yes, poor Nick. He was so drunk. Yeah. Well, I might as well get this report turned in. Chambers, you told the doctor you were driving? I was. Mrs. Smith told me that she was at the wheel. I was. How about that, Chambers? Uh, I don't know. I, well, it, it seemed to me that I was driving, but... Uh, well, uh, I couldn't be sure. I mean... Well, I, I guess I'd been drinking a little, too. Yeah. I saw the chemist's report on your blood. You keep drinking like that for a few more years, and your blood's going to be 90 proof. Well, I'm going to swear off that stuff right now. That's a very good idea. You wouldn't want another accident like this. Next time, you might not get off so lucky. They all took it like that, swallowed our story from start to finish. They brought me a lot of papers to sign, and then they checked me out of the hospital, and then Cora and I took the bus for home. All the way out, she never said one word. Just kept staring out of the window. But once we were back at the Twin Oaks again, and the door was locked, and we knew we were safe. Frank. Yes, Cora? Frank, are you sorry? Well, not exactly. I'm sorry, I just sort of feel as though... Cora, let's clear out of here. Let's go somewhere, anywhere. And give up this place? After what I've gone through to keep it? Oh, no, not in your life. What's the matter, Frank? Getting scared? Maybe I am. Almost any minute I expect to hear that guitar again. Or him singing the way... The way he was singing when I... Oh, you're just using that for an excuse. You want to go away because you still think it's fun to be a... A tramp. Oh, Cora, please. You've been trying to make a tramp out of me ever since you've known me. But you're not going to do it. I'm staying here. All right. I'll do whatever you say. And you know why. What do you mean I know what? Are you trying to say you're afraid of me? Afraid I might try to double-cross you? Go back to Sackett and try to pin the whole thing on you? Cora. So that's the truth of it. Oh. If you stay here, it's only because you're afraid to leave. That's not true. It isn't. But maybe that's why you won't let me go. You're afraid that maybe I might squeal. Maybe I am. All right, then. We're hooked. I guess maybe we are. But I won't feel so bad. After we're married. Married? Well, there happens to be a law in this country, Frank. A, a husband and wife can't testify against each other. I think maybe we'll both feel safer that way. She 
didn't want to get married right away. She was afraid it might start people talking. So the next few weeks were pretty brutal. Her watching me, me watching her. Each of us scared of what the other might do. There were times I thought I couldn't stand it anymore. And then one evening she came to me. Frank, I think we'll get married tonight. Some little town down near the border. You bring out the car and I'll go get my things. Frank? Yes, Cora? Frank, before we're married, I want to know something. And tell me the truth, because I'm going to tell the truth to you. What do you want to know? During these weeks, sometimes, you must have planned to run away. Why didn't you? <laughs> Why didn't I? Because we're chained to each other. Ever since that night on the mountain, Cora. We were on top of a mountain. But it's been on top of us ever since that night. Is that the only reason you didn't go away? No. It was because of you and me. Don't say you love me now. The funny part is, I do. No. No, that's not love, Frank. When fear comes into it, it isn't love anymore. It's hate. Do you hate me? I don't know. And I've got to know. I've got to know the truth. Frank. Frank, will you do something for me? Then I'll know. How? Take me off to the beach swimming. That place we went the first time you kissed me. Well, that's a funny thing. To... Oh, please. Please, Frank, don't ask any questions. Just take me down to the beach. And I promise you everything will be settled one way or the other. Before we come back. Well, if it means so much to you. Here, you take the next road to the right. Cora. Don't, don't you think we're out far enough? There's a riptide tonight. Yes, I think this ought to be far enough. <sighs> tired? Oh, yes. Very tired. How about you? Well, I'm still all right. I swim better than you, but... But you're stronger. Frank. Frank, this is what I meant. In the car. What? Well, if you don't trust me completely... If you don't believe I'd never turn on you... If you, if you don't want me to go back with you, you, you don't have to. You can swim back by yourself. I'm too tired to make it. And nobody will ever know. Cora. Cora. <laughs> I didn't want to live without you. Oh, Frank. Don't say another word, honey. Just save your breath. I'll take you in. <laughs> Are you sure now? Mm, I'm sure. I'm sure I love you. I'm sure we're going to be happy. Almost as happy as if all this had come to us before Nick. That wasn't our luck, Cora, but we'll start out now. A brand new life. Yes, a brand new life. Let's kiss on that, huh? Oh, no, no, not by your driving. Come on, no. honey. <laughs> no, when we get home, Frank, then there'll be kisses. Kisses with dreams in them. Kisses that come from life. Not dead. Oh, just one little one now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, one, two. <laughs> Gentlemen of the jury, I tell you this man is a mad dog. A mad dog that must be put out of the way to protect the homes and lives of our community. Cora Smith's letter, which we found in her room, proves without question that Frank Chambers helped her to kill her husband so that between them they could share his estate. But not content with his share, greedy and desirous of having it all for himself, he then conceived this fiendish plan to kill her, too. 
The evidence is complete and overwhelming. There is only one verdict that you can bring in. Guilty. Guilty of murder in the first degree. Let him talk. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do to me now. If I could only be sure that Cora knows, that she understands how it happened. If I could only be sure that somewhere, somehow, I, I'll have a chance to tell her and make her believe. I never really wanted anything in the world but her. It's funny how it all works out. It's just like when you're expecting a letter. You hang around the front door, afraid you might not hear the postman ring. You forget that the postman always rings twice. Yeah. He rang twice for Cora, and now he's ringing twice for me. And that was The Postman Always Rings Twice, starring Lana Turner and John Garfield. I do hope you enjoyed that. And for more info on that story and on the film, remember to go to allthatnoir.com and grab the latest edition of The Dark Pages. Well, time to find out if that guess was correct, as we go over to find out exactly who the hell that Hollywood legend was. Mr. Sir? Well, you're not Lana Turner, that's right. Oh, uh, was from the terrace. Uh, from the terrace. Yes, it's Joan Woodward. I was no. mixing up the two. Joan Woodward and Ina Bowen. Myrna Lloyd. Myrna Lloyd. Yes, it was Myrna Loy, the queen of Hollywood herself. The world needs more Myrna Loys, I feel. Well, how pleasant this has been. A bonus Attaboy Clarence will be on its way to patrons next week, as well as a movie commentary, which is being recorded in a few days' time. If you'd like to support this show and get all these bonuses, then you can do so for as little as $1 a month. You'll be a co-producer, too, you know. It's official. To find out how, listen on to the end of this show. Until next time, then, thank you for listening. Welcome back. And let's all collectively have a wonderful 2018 with more classic movies and more old-time radio and more gorgeous music and a lot more episodes, I promise. Thank you again. Take very good care of yourselves. And bye for now. David Colenda. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.